The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. From the crossroads of Smith Street and Merrick Avenue in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island, this is 1240 WGBB Sports Talk New York. This is your host tonight, Mike Guidone. My, my partner normally calls me the coach, uh, Mike Treza. He's out this evening on assignment, ready to bring the best sports stories in New York and the country to you in a couple of weeks. But I'll be sitting in tonight in the big chair, stepping up, so... With your calls, 516-623-1240. We're going to have some open phone lines tonight. We're going to have some normal, regular guests with us. Chris Caputo will be on to talk about the Mets and the Knicks, kind of a little bit of a post-mortem on the Knicks. Uh, he'll be on. And then we're going to be changing gears just a little bit tonight and talking about some Long Island sports, high school sports and, and women in sports with Dr. Danielle Turner who is the athletic director at Locust Valley High School. I'm lucky enough to call her my boss, but also a friend. She's going to offer a very unique perspective on, uh, as I mentioned, you know, girls in sports on Long Island and uh, in the professional ranks as well. So that will be in the second half of the show, but we'll be certainly taking your calls and talking about a, a number of topics this evening. First thing we'd like to talk, though, is we would be remiss if we did not bring up the name of Jim Brown. You know, many people... Understand Jim Brown as the one of, if perhaps maybe the greatest football players in the history of the sport. Uh, but very little known about Jim across the country. Long Island guy, grew up in Manhasset, Long Island, um, and was really probably the greatest lacrosse player ever to play that sport. You know, back in the 50s, lacrosse was not what it is today. And Jim went to Syracuse University to play both football and lacrosse. And when he went to Syracuse, I did a little little reading up on him. It was amazing. He went as a non-scholarship player and was promised many things, had to stay in a segregated dorm. Uh, his tuition, room and board was paid for by, by a, a benefactor here on Long Island. And it wound up that, that Jim turned out to be one of the greatest athletes ever. You know, certainly football. Uh, hard to argue that there's any running back in the short amount of time that he had. Maybe Barry Sanders, you could talk about that. But a real a real legend uh, passed away this week, you know, Jim Brown. And uh, not only in sports, but also uh, doing a lot for his community, for his race. Um, you know, controversial, for sure. But, you know, you're not going to see many people like Jim in the future who had the guts to step out uh, and, and really, you know, push things past a level that had not been seen before. So we, we send our condolences to the Brown family, uh, as well as, you know, the impact that he had on professional sports and and many sports, uh, you know, like I mentioned, football. But, uh, he actually held the, the record in basketball for a while here on Long Island. He averaged 38 points per game, and that was broken, believe it or not, by Carl Yastrzemski, another Long Island product uh, of baseball fame. But if you're looking at your, at your Mount Rushmore of, of sports figures, you know, throughout the 20th, 21st century. You know, of course, you have Jim Thorpe. He's probably up there. Um, as much as I hate to bring it up, Deion Sanders, only because of his personality. But, you know, there's a guy, baseball, track, football, Bo Jackson. Of course, you can bring him up as well. Uh, but Jim Brown, you know, lacrosse, did so much for that sport and for football 
and for race relations. So we we think about him right now, send out our best. And uh, I'm going to change gears here just a little bit before I have my man Chris Caputo come on and, and talk about a couple of our local sports teams here. Now, full disclosure, if, if, if you're familiar with me or you follow the program or whatever else you hear me and Trez talk about it, I'm a diehard Met fan, diehard Nick fan, diehard Islander fan. And those are some tough things to be sometimes because not that their performance necessarily is, is not great because, you know, we can't complain about that this year, fans of those teams. But for goodness sake, Mets fans and Knicks fans, can, can we pump the brakes here a little bit? First thing I want to talk about quickly is the Knicks. So here they are. They lose 4-2 to the Miami Heat, you know, Eastern Conference semifinals. Two years ago, Knicks fans were begging for something like that. Could we please be relevant again? Can we get into the playoffs? You know, can, can we have hope? And finally, this year, there, there's some electricity at Madison Square Garden. Cleveland comes in. They take care of business. Miami, you know, say what you will about an eighth-seeded team, but they, they, as you can see right now, they're already two games to zero up on Boston Celtics. After the loss to Miami, what's what's playing across, you know, sports talk, TV shows, ESPN, it's Nick fans ripping down Julius Randle's poster and stomping on it. I mean, come on, folks. Can we can we get a grip here for a minute? I know that, that the word fan comes from fanatic, but seriously. Julius Randle, who, who do we want instead of Julius Randle? Guy was all NBA third team. Yeah, he didn't step up and, and wasn't, you know, LeBron James here in the playoffs or, or, or even, you know, something remotely close to that. But this is an all-NBA player who played through injury, who is making your team, our team, relevant again, and we're pulling his poster down and stomping on it. No wonder the guy doesn't want to stay here. So please, come on, back off. Let's be happy that they got that far. And and, and we're going to get to the Mets and, and the Knicks with Cappy here, Chris Caputo, in a second. But just before he comes on, my Met fans, my, my loyal Met fans, a week ago everybody's pushing the panic button. Oh, they got to do something. They got to fire Buck Walter. They have to make a move. They got to do something here. And what happens? Three or four dramatic wins later, everyone's feeling a lot better. Now, let's be real. Is, is their roster flawed? Of course it is. The bullpen is horrendous. Hopefully, Cappy will have some answers for that for us. Hitting has been up and down. Lindor can't seem to find, find the ball off the bat recently. Alonzo, I've, I've had some interesting conversations with friends of mine about him as well. Sometimes I think his attitude, he's so sullen when he's not playing well that maybe it might even be worth our while to take a look and see on the trade market. But those are things that you're, you're looking at little things to piece together. Th- those of us out there who are hearing people say, fire Buck Showalter, for Pete's sake, what are we going to bring in in place of him? Buck Showalter is considered one of the best managers strategically in the league, by far. He's become more of a player's manager. His players love playing for him. Yeah, I know in New York, especially, something has to has to fall here when there's an issue. But can can someone please tell me, what would you rather have? Who, who's going to come in and save the day? It's not his fault. It's not his fault that, that Max Scherzer has not even looked like himself. Although today, put up six strong. Justin Verlander got hurt. That's not Buck Showalter's fault, folks. All right, it's them. It's just the way things are going. 
So, Met fans, Nick fans, Knicks, let's be happy. We'll talk about them in a minute. Mets, we're going to go right here to Chris Capito in just a second because when it comes to inside information on the Mets, there's nobody I'd rather talk to than the man we call Cappy, my man, my former player, my former assistant coach, the guy I go to when I need a scout. Here he is, Chris Capito. Cappy, welcome aboard tonight. How's it going, Mike? Doing pretty well by yourself, huh? Thanks. Well, you know, it's a little intimidating being in here, but uh, I got my man Brian Graves behind the, the glass helping me out, and, and having you on tonight is certainly something that I feel comfortable with. And talking, you know, Mets and Knicks, there's nothing better. So uh, I don't know if you heard my little opening rant there about the, the Mets, how, you know, a week ago everybody was willing to pull the plug. But a couple of big victories this week and uh, pulled out another one, this afternoon, in a general sense, Cappy, how are you feeling about the team? Are are you are you on board that it's going to be this roller coaster ride all season long, or do you think they're overachieving now, underachieving? Tell me your thoughts. Um, I think you're right. The roller coaster ride is probably going to happen, and it all just depends on injuries and when people get hot, and you know what guys are going to be on the team at, at one point. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and I think. Right now, uh, the last few days, people are jumping back on after, you know, the Mets had a, a, a rough stretch. I mean, this is their third doubleheader in the month of May. That's so, un- unbelievable, the weather that they've had to, had to endure. Yeah. It's tough. I think, uh, the Mets, they'll be okay, but the Braves are, are definitely the best team in the East. It's just a matter of, you know, now with the schedule being pretty balanced, you're not going to see those teams at the end of the year and have the ability to come back like the Braves did the last few games of the season. You're going to have to make your mark, you know, during the regular season. Hopefully it puts a little more stress on regular season, uh, in, you know, in order to make the playoffs. That's uh, absolutely, you know, and uh, the, the big, big word has been the baby Mets, you know, Brett Beatty. Mark Vientos, Francisco Alvarez, now all three of them are up and, and playing, you know, a major role, at least at this point. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll take it first with Brett Beatty. I love his confidence. I, I think for, for a young player, um, in the field, at the plate, you know, he's going to struggle, of course, because that's just what happens. But it, it seems like no matter whether he is, you know, tearing up the ball or, or makes a great play in the field, does, he's, he's a very, very steady player. Um, you know, I, I think obviously, his future is not anywhere else but but Manning third base here for the rest of the season and beyond. Yeah, I think the Mets knew that, and you know he got injured last year after you know making his mark early on, and I think uh, starting right off, you know number one would be Brett Beatty is your fixture for the most part at third base, and then maybe on a couple of days DHing, but uh, they'll 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 try and keep him there, and I think eventually. You'll start seeing him play consistently against the lefties as well. But uh, just a all-around good player, and I think he's going to mature and you know somewhere in that five-six uh, spot throughout the lineup this year. You know, you heard a lot of chatter too coming out of the spring training, Cappy, about Francisco Alvarez behind the plate that he needed to play. That it was useless to put him, you know, back up in Syracuse, and due to injuries and and you know some other things, now he's he's manning the dish. You know, Gary Sanchez that they signed. Uh, off the waiver wire, he he he's been up. He's playing a little bit. You know who knows what what happens with him. But um, it's amazing how things work out. And there's Alvarez uh, along the lines that we were talking about. Beatty, what do you think with Alvarez? Is is he going to need a little bit of you know seasoning? You know, watching a little bit, or do you feel comfortable with him? You know, behind the plate now for the rest of the season. You know, Mike, we were on the 
the air uh, about a month ago when he was playing a Sunday night game in San Francisco, and I was saying, just let the guy play. And next thing you know, he hits a home run to tie the game. And, you know, this past week, the guy's just been electric. He hits the ball a monster yard. Yeah. And you just got to let the kid play. And the Mets are in a tough situation. But think about this week, Mike. He's hitting home runs with two outs in the ninth inning and two strikes <laughs> to tie the game. Coming back the next night down to their last out, he's hitting a ground ball base hit. Like, this kid can play. We never got this from James McCann. We don't get it from Tomas Nito. We don't get it from all these other guys. So I think the Mets are in a really tough situation because they really have five catchers. Michael Perez just got sent down. That's number one. Alvarez has options. He's the only guy with options, as Brandon Nimmo basically just lost the ball in the lights but no, finally geez. caught it. Gee okay, whiz, right. we got one nothing. by the way, they're trailing. <laughs> okay. Um, but Tomas Nito's having vision issues, so we send him down. He's going to be ready soon. And Omar Navarez, who we're paying a couple million dollars a year, is almost ready to start playing games too. And then you got Gary Sanchez, who's eventually, you know, if he's not hitting home runs, the Mets are going to have to get rid of him. But out of those four main catchers, only two of them are going to be able to be on the roster. And my feeling is I don't care if Tomas Nito and Gary Sanchez are gone. Get rid of them. You need Alvarez to be your everyday catcher. Yeah, what do you think was the, the, the thought process behind signing Navarez to come in here um, with with Nito? I mean, Nito is, is your classic backup, but... Uh, why why sign a guy in front of Alvarez? I mean, he's been hurt, but what, what was the what was the thinking on that? I, I just I'm still scratching my head. Well, you couldn't go with McCann anymore, so they basically got rid of him for a bag of used balls, and it was like, who are we going to bring in next? Because Nito was was not going to be your starter, and they were not ready to make Alvarez their starting catcher. Yeah. So I think they brought him in on a one year deal with a chance for a second year option with the ability to say, you know what, we can eat the second year if we have to. But they really didn't think after watching Alvarez play in the playoffs um, last year that he was going to be ready to step up. And I still don't know if the upper administration is going to allow him to stay up here if he struggles in the next, let's say, four weeks. But um, I think they brought him in to be their starting catcher because the guy could hit. He was an all-star two years ago. Uh, I thought he'd give the Mets a little more pop. But unfortunately, the guy got hurt after no time, and yeah. um, and, and the Mets were forced to bring up Alvarez. I don't think they would have. I don't think it's a Billy Epler move. I don't think it's a Buck move. Now, Mike, we could sit here and talk about all these guys because, you know, the third guy they bring up is Vientos. But if these guys are up here, let the kids play. Let the kid. Vientos hits a home run, and the next night he's on the bench. Yeah, now, I know was... the Mets win the game 3-2, to two, but let that the kids play. Daniel Vogelback is done. <laughs> Goodbye. It's time to let him go. Well, he he's a he's a fun guy to watch, like you know, waddle around the bases and everything. But I got I got to agree with you. I think I think his effectiveness is is kind of worn off for sure. Yeah, I think you've got to just at this point, the season is you know you're five hundred ish. You got to do something that's going to light this team on fire. And you know, last year. I don't know how bad Girardi was in the clubhouse, but they got rid of him in Philadelphia, and they went on a, a run. Does that mean that they went with young kids? Not necessarily, but I think the Mets have to do whatever it takes to get this team fired up, get everybody healthy, and go on a little bit of a run, because you can't be 500 at the All-Star break and make a run. Um, and, and this team is built for now. I mean, you got Justin Verlander. The other big problem, Mike, that we have is 
we're trying to throw guys out there like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander who are not 100%. And are they going to be ready in September or October? Because that's when you need them. Right. But if you're 10 games out in September and October, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So that's the catch-22 is do you throw them now and waste them, or do you try to nurse them a little bit and hope that they're ready for September and October? That's a great point because the, the bullpen has has really been shaky. I mean, Adam Adovino last year did a fantastic job. He was uh, I wouldn't say he was unhittable, but all of a sudden now he, you can't depend on him for anything. No, and they, they, you, uh, the one thing, I, Buck does need to get some, some flack a little bit, but he tried, he's the, you know, he makes sure that um, these guys went back-to-back days the least amount of any pitchers last year. The Mets always made sure that they nursed these guys. Now, are you going to get guys on the mound with the last name Walker and you don't even know who they are anymore? It's not Taiwan. It's not Neil. Like, you don't even know who these guys are anymore. Um, they do that for a while. They kind of bring up these guys just for a couple of starts. But they need to get a solid, you know, five guys. They need to get a couple of uh, guys that are on um, on their bench that can do stuff. And I think that's their biggest problem is just kind of putting that roster together when you know that there's holes there. I mean, we're probably looking at at least another month before Jose Quintana, and what are you going to get out of him? Maybe it's good. I'm I'm okay so far with what Kodai Senga's giving yeah. you. Eventually, I think Max Scherzer and, 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 and Justin Verlander are going to be who we expected them to be. But even Scherzer today came out at the six innings because he's got blisters on his finger, and, you know, JV's not, not 100%. Uh, David Peterson's been horrible. Tyler yeah. McGill's been eh, up and down. Um, but if you can get yourself five starters, maybe one of those guys can go to the bullpen. They're going to have to go out and get somebody, though, because Edwin Diaz was a humongous, yeah. humongous loss. Yeah, that that can't be understated because just for for his role, number one, but also just for for the belief in the clubhouse that you know once you get to the ninth inning or even late in the eighth, you know he was he was being used in five out situations last year. You can't you can't lose that and not have something in the back of your mind like, hey, we're going to have to scrap and claw for every game. Yeah, and 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 Ottavino is like thirty seven and and you know thirty eight for uh, you know for for Robertson. These guys are are not young guys. They can't do it all that time, and you can't keep relying on guys like Drew Smith to to pull it out all the time. There's only one real lefty in the bullpen. I think they have always struggled having a second lefty in the bullpen. So I'd like to see that. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough to go down, and you can't sit there and say, oh. You know, we're going to get Edwin Diaz back in September. That's no. our trade deadline pickup because it's not. No. Um, but I think that, that um, honestly, Mike, the, the biggest problem with this team is consistent hitting. You know, they they might score eight runs, but they score like all eight runs in one inning. Um, they come back at the end. If we're talking long term, you can't have lulls like this. No. And uh, you know, I I'm always big on scoring first. The Mets, I think, for 14 straight games had not scored in first. And it might still be active. I'm not even sure about that. They get outscored 42 to 10 in the first inning. Wow. And, and, and you always like to point to Carlos Carrasco. You might as well just have a, have a starter in there for him or an opener and then bring him in the second inning. I'm sorry, but he's, 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 like, at some point the Mets are going to have to cut their losses with him. Because it's not even just the first inning. He just, he really is so ineffective and he's coming back off the injured list. And you can't keep throwing guys back off the injured list when your bullpen is already decimated. They're like, oh, this guy's on a 60 pitch limit. But there's nobody else left in the bullpen. So, 
you know, at some point you're just going to have to cut your losses and go get somebody. And I'm not saying Madison Baumgartner and, you know, Trevor Bauer is pitching in the minor leagues overseas and now. It's like, forget those guys. Yeah. You've got to go out there and get yourself maybe a stud from another team and, uh, and see where it lands. Because right now at 500, you're really not going anywhere. But they got a couple of games coming up, um, against some teams that are about 500 as well that they got to win. So last thing before we move on quickly to the Knicks. Yep. Interesting how the Mets are playing the Cleveland, I don't want to say Indians, the Cleveland Guardians, um, yep. this weekend. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of chatter about the Lindor trade. Who won the trade? Would you do the trade again? Um, you know, Lindor, he's been kind of an enigma, I think, since he's been here. You know, his, his personality's fantastic. He's had some big hits, but he kind of goes up and down. So it's one of those things right now with, with Cleveland in town that they don't always play. You know, just if you had to do that trade again, would you do it? I think you had to at that time. Yeah. Um, the Mets needed that. They base. needed some they star need... power, right? Yeah. Um, $341 million is a Ooh. lot of money. And, and you know what the other thing is? I think you look at teams like Tampa Bay, and they don't worry about that stuff. When a guy gets hot, they get rid of him, and they just <laughs> they do a very good job scouting other teams. Yes. And they bring in guys that they know for a couple of years are going to be really good for them, and then if they lose them, fine. But they trade a guy for a guy, and then that guy gets good, and then they trade that guy for another guy. It's almost like a complete turnover. And I think the Mets are just trying to throw $43 million at everybody. Um, and eventually, two out of three of those are going to go bad, and then you're in a bad spot. So, um, you know, $341 million is a lot. But, but Mike, he is uh, up there in RBI leaders. Mm-hmm. I know he's hitting two twenty. Yeah. Um, he is up there in OPS. He's probably top five in the major league. So I understand that people want more out of him, but I think in the long run when his average starts to go up, you're going to be impressed. And Jimenez is not doing – he played really well last year, but he's hitting two thirty this year. And, and uh, as we always know, Rosario's not a great fielder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch him in this series, he's been horrible. Uh, yeah, he gets some hits. But I think Lindor, you cannot undermine what he does at shortstop. And he is your only shortstop. We do, with Luis Guillaume going to the minor leagues, we have no more shortstops. He is the guy. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point as well. So I think it's that you, you mentioned the, the batting average. That seems to be the big bugaboo for everybody. But when you look at his, his stats in total and what he brings, you know, again, you make a great point that, that the other things really pick up his game. And to, while he's maybe quote unquote not worth three hundred and forty one million dollars, he's certainly he he's a top player in this league. And and yeah, who who are we going to put in there for him? Great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I think he's, I think he is a true leader. You know, I think he understands it. I think he gets it in New York. Um, and and that is hard to put a price on. But um, the Mets have to get back to winning games, no matter what it takes. So speaking of, of of thriving in New York, let's let's change gears here for a couple of minutes. Talk about the New York Knicks. In the opening, I was talking about the fact that you know, of course, it was disappointing that they didn't they didn't go a little bit deeper with the Heat. But I think that anybody who had watched the Knicks over the last couple of years had to be super duper thrilled with the fact that here we are, you know, Eastern Conference semifinals, being competitive and what else. Um, my feeling is number one, got to address the shooting. You got to have someone that can knock down threes consistently. Um, if you're the GM of, of the New York Knicks, what's the first thing you're doing? Yeah, I think you need somebody um, to be an all-around player. Now, the league is kind of turning into that um, that big man who's not like Shaq, but a guy who you know is more like Jokic, a guy that uh, that that's pick and pop and all that stuff. So I think if you can find one of those guys 
that would be great to be able to help. But, yeah, you need a shooter. It's not Evan Fournier. I know they didn't give him a shot. Um, I mean, a guy off the bench like Josh Hart, I think they, he'll probably decline his option, but then I think he likes being in New York. They can re-sign him. But you got to build around your superstar. And, Mike, there's no question who the superstar of this team is, yeah. and that's Jalen Brunson. Absolutely. You know, you had brought up, uh, you know, the, the taller player, the, the guy. There was one name that was kind of being floated around. Uh, I'm sure you can, well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, a former Nick who kind of plays that pick-and-pop big guy role. You know who I'm talking about? Mr. Porzingis? Mr. Porzingis, Chris Tapps Porzingis. He, yeah. his, his name's been floated around as somebody who could fill that, that role that the Knicks need and, and might be able to do that. You know, based on on a on a trade or or salary, um, boy, I I don't know, but they certainly have to in some way. They they can't go, and, and they're not going to go back with this same lineup. But Porzingis, he's kind of an intriguing character. Yeah, but Mike, I, I'm not big on bringing guys back a second time. But who's your? Well, you know me, I'm, I'm Mr. Sentimentality, so I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> who, who who's your untouchables on this team? Like, if I went through the lineup. Are there guys who you'd be like, eh, I'd, I could trade them, or are there guys that are literally untouchables? And I think there's definite one definite that you cannot touch, and that's Jalen Brunson. Exactly. After that, if a, if a situation came up, would you trade R.J. Barrett? If a situation came up, you know, would you trade, uh, you know, Quigley or something like that? And I think you have to keep everything on the table in case a guy shows up. Because let me give you a name, okay? Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm loves playing with Jalen Brunson. Would you give up a bunch of draft picks and maybe an R.J. Barrett to uh, and Julius Randle to, to get him? I, I think you have to. I, I mean, I, 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 I like Randle, and I sit, you know, in the opening I was talking about him as well. R.J. Barrett, you know, I think he was picked way higher than – than he should have been, although, you know, he was a, he was a legitimate lottery, early lottery pick at the time. But he's, he kind of fits that Duke. You're either very hit or miss with these Duke guys. I think you'd have to do that. Yeah, because I think the other guys they're looking at for trade, again, the Knicks need to do something trade-wise, because I don't know how much is out there in the, in the offseason just signing somebody. Right. Um, and, and the name Carl Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns comes up. I'm just, I don't know what it is. There's something about it. He's from Jersey. A lot of stuff has happened. I, his, I, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his original agent is now um, the guy that's with the Knicks, the, yeah, Leon, the, Rose, um, right? Leon Rose. Yes. So I think they have that There's connection. The connection. Yep. Um, and I think some of the other names coming up, like the Knicks, would look at some of these guys, you know, as far as making trades. But I, I just, I think. Everybody's got to be on the table, including Julius Randle, um, Obi Toppin. Like, you can't sit there and say we're gonna we're gonna move forward with the same guys that are out there. And I think, you know, some of those names come up. And I think one of the other ones that came up, and again, three years ago, I would have said drop everything and go get them, Damian Lillard. Right. Like, but you know, these guys get to later in their career. But think about a backcourt of Brunson and Lillard. <laughs> And maybe you can bring in one other guy. I think that's pretty good too. It is. You know, the, the Knicks have they've gotten to this point by not making those huge trades because you know, or Donovan Mitchell was out there. That was the big thing they were going to try to bring him in or whatever else. So they've been staying the course and building and going and going to get to this point. It would be very, very intriguing if they decided not to blow it up, but to go that other route in the trade route to really kind of change the team. Uh, 
around, bring in one or two guys to see. Kind of, kind of goes against what they've been doing to build it up. But you and I both know we got to have somebody who can knock down some shots. Yeah, you need somebody. And I, again, I love the Villanova guys, so I love having Brunson. I love having Josh Hart on the team. I'd love to go across town and, and pick up Mikhail Bridges. Oh gosh, um, I don't know what it would take to get him, but I think it would be great to have all those guys on one team. Um, but you, you definitely need a shooter, and I think if you go get Lillard, that would that would add to that to those pieces. But uh, I know some of the people are okay with the other bigs, but I mean Mitchell Robinson and and Hartlestein, like are those? I guess they're serviceable, but is that really going to get the Knicks over the hump? I don't think so, and and this is kind of a little shout out to some guys I work with. How bad of a free throw shooter is Mitchell Robinson? Oh my God! <laughs> You're a professional basketball player. I mean, I, my goodness, it, we you and I could sit here for a while and talk about some of your former teammates and some some people that we've coached that that we'd rather have on the line at that time. But man, alive is he horrendous! Yeah, and and eventually that killed the Knicks in certain games. It this did. Year. They had they had to get um, him off the floor. <laughs> you can't keep those guys in games. Um, but let's just think about the season in totality. Yes, the Knicks need to make some moves. How many people thought the Knicks were going to get to that point? I don't know. I would say maybe 10% of the people. And how many people really thought that the Miami Heat could possibly sweep their way into the NBA Finals? Nobody. Nobody did. But here's the thing. you got guys out there like Riley and um, Eric Spolstra who love players like Jimmy Butler. And those guys are out there. You have to kind of resurrect their careers and bring them in. And that's what the Knicks maybe need to do. They need to go get a guy who can possibly retake over a team. That could be Damian Lillard. I don't know. It could be Carl Anthony Towns. It could be one, one of those type of guys. It could be a Zach Levine to be a shooter. I don't know. But you need the right coach. Now, does that mean that you get rid of Tom Thibodeau? I don't know. But if you could bring in a guy that's going to put these guys together, that would be great. But think about, Mike, think about all the coaches, and I know I might be changing the top here, but think about all the coaches who were at the top who no longer have a job. Yeah, I'm talking great. number one, number two, number three, number four seeds. They're all gone. Yep. It, it, it's I mean, amazing, uh, the turnover that that has gone on, and we know all about that in the profession because, we, you know, we're as coaches we follow that. Very, very closely, and 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 it's a it's something we could sit here and talk all night about. But Cap, wonderful to have you on. Thanks so much for you know, your you insight on, on the Mets and, and helping me in, in my solo chair tonight. Really, really big stuff. Um, great, you know, great times as teachers. We're getting to the, the summer. We can see the the, the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. I know in the seven line you'll be there as well. But uh, big things ahead. And again, thanks. All the best, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. All right, hopefully when you get home tonight, the Mets will have a walk-off and we can enjoy a, a sweep. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Ladies All right, and gentlemen, Chris Caputo, the man we call Cap. Thanks again. So we're going to take a little break here, and then we're going to welcome in Dr. Danielle Turner from Locust Valley High School to talk a little high school sports and women in sports. We'll be right back. Listening to Sports Talk New York. 
Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. This is WGBB. And welcome back to 1240 WGBB. Sports Talk New York. I'm your host tonight, Mike Rodone, going solo. The Trez man, Mike Trez, on assignment. Going to be bringing you some interesting factoids and interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. But right now, we're going to change gears here a little bit tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and talk a little high school sports, as long as well as um, women in professional sports. We're going to dive into that as well. And I'm very pleased and happy to be joined by Dr. Danielle Turner, who is the Director of Athletics and Physical Education at Locust Valley High School, and coincidentally just happens to be my boss. But we're very happy to have her join us tonight. Dr. Turner, thanks for joining Thanks for having me, Mike. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Exciting times for you uh, at, at Locust Valley, especially right now. You have a lot. Uh, lacrosse team, girls lacrosse doing very well. Softball making making a run. Uh, your tennis team made the playoffs. We're not going to go there, though, but at least we, we, we gave a little bit of something. But um, this this time of the year, as as we're winding down, I'm sure um, you're tired from everything that you've gone on, but you got to be excited as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime our, our students, you know, qualify for postseason or even just have a successful season in general, um, you know, we're happy about that. And I think when you see kids, the joy that playing sports brings to kids and the excitement that they have, just a little pep in their step in the, in the building right throughout the school during their season, um, it's palpable. So, yeah, we've been, we've been really excited and lucky to have some success, you know, during the spring season and some postseason um, appearances. But we're proud of all of our athletes, and certainly if they've had a good season and have a good time and are excited to be in school and playing sports, then I think that's a win. Absolutely. I wanted, if you could, if you could just for the the listeners, kind of give a little bit of your background in terms of your of your playing career. I know you played in high school, played in college, and kind of you know, if you could take us through that and 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 your experience of how that kind of you know molded you into getting into athletics as a career. Yeah, so I think um, probably like most, you know, high school athletes these days, um, my parents got me into basketball when I was very young. I think I was maybe like five or six when I picked up basketball for the first time, and um, that changed my life, right, at age five. But sure. continued playing sports up through high school. Um, I attended Sachem, you know, pre-split, so it was, um, you know, <laughs> one one Sachem back in the day, and I was a three-sport athlete playing volleyball, basketball, and uh, picked up track my senior year mm-hmm. to see, uh, see what it was about, sure. and was fortunate enough to, you know, play two sports, both volleyball and basketball, up at Cortland for a little while. Um, didn't play basketball all four years, but stuck with volleyball and had a really Really great career up in Cortland, um, where I also got my physical education and sports management degree. Um, and it's kind of funny, you know, I, I picked up the sports management piece because I remember specifically working a volleyball camp over the summer one time mm-hmm. and thinking to myself, oh my god, I, I, I hate working these camps. I just, 
I can't do it anymore. And all of a sudden I said, you know, to myself, well, you got to figure it out, girl, because this is what your, what your, you know, your career is going to be. Sure. Um, so I kind of knew at that moment that I really wanted to be more on the managerial, um, you know, advisory side of sports rather than the teaching. Mm. Um, but, you know, at that point I stuck with it, uh, taught for a few years, um, high school and middle school physical education. And when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I jumped into the administration world um, at a relatively young age. I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And, um, you know, did a couple of years as an assistant principal and worked my way up. And this is my, I guess, seventh year now as a high school athletic director. And I have the best job in the world. So I couldn't be happier. You've certainly had a taste of all the different kind of roles that, that go with education and, and athletics. I want Before we get into that, I, I, I wanted to ask you, because this is something I've wanted to ask you for a while, in, in recruiting. Now, you know, you, were, you went through, your, you are, you know, you're, you're a young lady. You, it hasn't been that long since you were in college, but things have changed in terms of the recruiting landscape. Yeah. And in your position as an athletic director, you're guiding both, you know, young ladies and gentlemen uh, going forward. In the short amount of time since you were a student athlete in college to now, how have you seen, especially for, for girls, the difference in terms of the recruiting? How, how it was when you were, you know, looking into schools and, and how it is right now? Oh my god, Mike, that's such a great and such an important question. You know, when I was in high school, we're talking, you know, early 2000s. Oh, God, you're really making me feel like, really old now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm getting older. So, no, no, it's all good. Yeah, so it's not even that long ago. But, um, but it was, it was kind of like, you know, the club and travel sports were really kind of just starting out. Right. Um, I played AAU basketball maybe in like ninth or tenth grade, and it was maybe, you know, the Silver Bullets were one of maybe three or four AAU teams on Long Island. Um, I played for uh, Long Island Power Volleyball Club, which mm-hmm. now is the Island Volleyball Academy, which was maybe one of three, you know, volleyball clubs on the island. Right. And a lot of the recruiting, um, or so we thought at the time, was really done through our travel coaches and our travel teams. And, you know, to, to the, to the I guess, uh, compliment of many of those coaches, they really did take a lot of it upon themselves to make those connections and, and introduce you to coaches at tournaments and give you their emails. And this was, like, pre- Facebook and Internet, really, too, right? right? I mean, there was the Internet, but we didn't have yeah, all the social a, media messages. Yeah, certainly not not the same level that it is right now. Yeah, totally different. Um, and fast forward to now, you know, there's, you know, club travel, you know, 18, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you know, in, in terms of the amount of teams at every age level, um, times that by several different clubs on every sport on the island, and it's really just a very crowded field of kids and athletes that are playing travel sports now. So it's less, it's becoming by nature, less on the travel coaches, less on the high school coaches, because that's where the college coaches are going to these travel tournaments to recruit, right? right. And so much more now on the student athletes themselves. And oftentimes as an AD, and I, I know you know, Mike, because we, we've spoken about some of these, players together, you know, through the years, sure. um, parents will say to us, okay, but how can you help me get started with recruiting? Or what school should we be looking at? Or what should we be doing? And what I say back to them is that it really starts with the athlete. You know, have have a, a sit-down with your child and say, all right, first, let's talk about general geographic area we're trying to go. Then generally, can I play the Division One, Division Two, Division Three? Be realistic with yourself, right? But the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Reach out to head coaches. Email college coaches. Email the assistant coaches. Obviously, there's some rules and things in terms of, you know, when coaches can contact you directly, 
But if you're not reaching out and you're not putting yourself on the college coach's radar and you're not selling yourself, um, you're really doing yourself a disservice and you're shortchanging yourself because you can't expect, and I say this to parents all the time, you can't expect every college coach to be searching out for your child when there's this, you know, just overcrowded field of travel clubs and teams and coaches um, that they have the opportunity to see. Um, here on Long Island, as you know, lacrosse is just, oh, you know, king. It's crazy. And, you know, I sometimes feel badly for these kids who feel that if they're not, you know, committed to some Big Ten school by eighth grade that yeah. they're behind the eight ball when it's just, it's just not the case. So I think things have drastically changed in the, you know, short 20 years or so, <laughs> right? Um, since I've been there, but, sure. um, but I, I, I do think that the, the, I guess the overarching theme is that it's really much more now on the athletes themselves to put themselves out there than maybe it was, you know, back when I was in school. So it's a lot of pressure on the kids, I think, but, um, but certainly something that I think the message needs to get out to both the student athletes and, you know, the parents of this generation. Sure. No, those are, that's some great insight because I can tell you quickly, you know, back in when you were very young, but when I started coaching in college in the nineties, in the early to mid nineties, especially with the females, um, AAU was was in its infancy with mm-hmm. with the female basketball players, yeah. and we, you know we were getting VCR tapes, and there were no cell phones, and you know with getting in contact with the players was was crazy. Now with cell phones and Twitter and texting and everything else, it's really it's tough. And I think you made a great point. The expectations are now that you should have something in line very quickly, and that's that's just yeah. not the case, especially in lacrosse and, and those big-time sports that we have here on Long Island. Um, I wanted to ask you, especially for me, you know, I have a daughter, 19, and, um, you know, you being a, a, in a big position in athletics as, as a female, if you had a young student come to you now and say, you know, Dr. Turner, I, I really – I think I want to follow in, in, in kind of your footsteps or get into, you know, physical education, teaching slash administration. Um, what, what would be like maybe one key that you would tell them as they, as they move forward that would help them kind of maybe get a leg up on the competition? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think, um, you know, anybody in education knows that PE teachers are a dime a dozen yeah. and that's kind of, you know, the job to have. Um, one thing that I did, and listen, I don't know if it helped or not. I know that I was fortunate enough to land a job pretty quickly out of college. Um, but one thing that I did that I always said to myself, that was probably a good move, was I stayed in touch with the teachers that I had in high school during my college years. So as I said earlier, I went to a very big high school. Um, I found out, you know, just through, you know, asking a lot of questions, I found out who the department chair was at my high school, and I made sure that I emailed them all the time, and I would say, hey, Mrs. or Mr. So-and-so, I'm a freshman, just completed all these classes, got my GPA, how can I help you over the summer with coaching, or how can I help you over the summer with putting some, you know, things together to start the school year? So I was kind of, again, like, as we were talking about that squeaky wheel and just mm-hmm. keeping and, you know, keeping your name in there and, and getting in their faces, and I remember doing that often so that when it did come time for me to come home, I would say, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, guess what? I'm home, fully certified, I have a job, or I'm looking for a job, right? Um, and I really tried to get in people's faces before I even graduated and, you know, right. just, um, you know, before the rest of the competition could keep up, so to speak. Um, I remember just trying to meet everybody, talk to everybody, don't say no to anybody, right? Like if somebody asks you, 
Can you come work this clinic? Can you help me? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, be, be, be willing to do ask. anything that, that you can do. Whatever. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I think just getting your name out there and having people saying good things about you to each other, um, especially without any prior work history or job history, I think um, selling yourself and getting a positive, um, you know, that positive vibe and positive attachment with your name uh, is something that you can definitely do even now, right before you get there. Absolutely. And do you think, you know, you, you kind of stayed with the education, got your doctorate pretty quickly. Do you think it would have been maybe hurtful for you? I don't, that's probably the wrong word, but maybe a negative had you kind of waited and spent a little time and then tried to go back to school. Are, are you happy with the fact that you stayed with it and, and went right to your doctorate? Along, I mean, you obviously were incredibly busy, but you banged all that out right away and then you made yourself that much more marketable? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the doctorate was really just kind of a personal goal of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's funny. I think about that a lot now. I, I wonder if it was um, something that I really needed to do, mm-hmm. probably as an athletic director. Um, it's it's certainly not something that, you know, let's say would be expected like in a superintendent role. I know that right. sometimes, you know, a lot of districts look for, you know, a superintendent who has their doctorate mm-hmm. just because for status or research or sure. they build they can, the ability for them to teach at a college level. I think for me, the doctorate was more of a personal kind of a vendetta. Um, but in terms of moving up in administration sooner than later, um, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I think sure. I think that, you know, I, I, I hate to admit that I, I don't really miss teaching. Uh, I <laughs> miss okay. coaching. I miss yes. coaching. Um, you know, I felt like teaching was, you know, um, and even in our high school, we talk about it a lot. You know, a lot of times PE doesn't count towards a GPA mm-hmm. or, you know, it's a prep period for elementary teachers. So I really, I, I always felt like there was more. I wanted more than just PE teaching. I missed the coaching because the kids really wanted to be there and you really could have more of an impact on that group. Um, but in terms of teaching versus administration, um, I, I love what I do and I wouldn't have, you know, slowed that process down had I had to do it over again. I, I love where I'm at. And like I said, I think the doctorate was, um, A, a personal thing, and B, I just, um, I'm a, kind of, it sounds so cheesy, I'm like a lifelong learner, right? Like I really enjoy <laughs> learning and taking classes, sure. and I think once you stop learning, um, that's when you kind of get a little bit stagnant. So um, I, I didn't do the doctorate for any other reason than really for my, my own personal, gotcha. um, you know, yeah, checklist. Um, but I don't think that I would have I would have changed it. Okay, we're speaking with Dr. Daniel Turner, the director of physical education and athletics at Locust Valley High School here on Long Island, on twelve forty WGBB. So as we kind of wrap up here, Danielle, I wanted to ask you. So you have you know you, obviously you said you have your dream job. You're you know I, I see you each day, and and you know we we talk about the different challenges and the highs and lows. Uh, I'm just curious as, as we finish. So what's one thing and that you never, it could be positive, it could be, you know, maybe challenging, whatever. What's the one thing that you never thought that you would encounter as a as an administrator that is either, like, way out of left field, great, or, like, oh, my gosh, I never thought I'd have to do this much stuff on a daily basis? It's such a good question. And, and I guess, like, 
and listen, every place has their their skeletons and their things, right? So there's like situations that that come up every day where I'm like, oh my god, like did that did that just happen? Am I dealing with that? <laughs> but I think if I really had to like think back on my career, I think you'd probably agree with me on this. <laughs> and again, I wish I could be more creative here. But the COVID thing, mm-hmm. um, when COVID no, hit, huge. and right, and having to. Um, mark off spots uh, on the bleachers where people could sit and move benches five feet away. And how am I going to play this basketball game when this one has to wear a mask or wrestle with masks? Like the entire COVID thing, um, I really don't think I ever thought I would have to deal with in my lifetime or anything like that. You know, if you said to me, Danielle, you're going to have to try to figure out how to put on an entire sports season when there's this you know, virus going around, right. everybody has to wear a mask, and every, I don't I don't know. And there was I, no I, information. I, I, yeah, no, no information out there on how to do it, and no matter what you were trying to do, you had one side that was maybe supportive, one side that wasn't, you know, just chaos going on. Yeah, unbelievable. And for you and I, telling our girls that the Lana Championship game was canceled, <laughs> oh. right, the week before the break, yes. I mean, which that I never thought I'd have to cancel a Lana Championship no, in my life either, but... um but listen, we got through it, and we've had some pretty, you and I have had some pretty successful seasons since, so it all worked out. Well, we're certainly hoping for that in the future, and I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us tonight. Um, really some great insights, you know, for for both boys and girls, but anybody who's who's looking to get into administration or into the field of athletics. And, um, you know, again, I just on a side note, uh, I've been blessed to have worked with Dr. Turner now for a number of years. Um, she's she's a great advocate for the student athletes, um, a great resource for us as coaches. And um, you know, just just stay the course, don't burn out because you get, you got a lot of years ahead of you. But all good stuff. And, and again, thank you so much. And I hope we can have you on again. Thanks, mutual coach. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. All right. See you tomorrow. Thanks, coach. Thank Sounds you, good. Dr. Turner. So that's Dr. Take Daniel care. Turner. All right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Just just a. Uh, I'm sure you can hear just the the enthusiasm in her voice uh, for someone who who loves what she does. Um, is you know she's she's a young person who on Long Island has has paid her dues and done everything possible. You know she she gave the great advice there: keep in touch with people, um, be willing to do anything. Um, you know that was something that someone said to me when I first got into coaching, especially in college coaching my first two years as a college coach i was a i was a volunteer i drove the van I, I picked up the food i mean i was on court and i was coaching but um especially now when when there are so many people in these in these positions that are looking to move up and you, you just have to you have to do what what's necessary to get there so uh big big thrill for me to have her on and 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 uh you know she she's a bright light for for many of us here in, in the field that, that i've been lucky enough to be in so with about you know, eight, nine minutes left. Again, the number's 516-623-1240. 516-623-1240. If you'd like to call in, talk about anything that, that we discussed tonight, the Mets, the Knicks. We haven't talked about the Yankees a little bit. I'm going to get to them in just a second. Um, you know, your, your, your career aspirations or, or if you have questions for your, for your kids, we're certainly here right now. Um, you know, baseball, we'll get to the, to the Yankees, as I mentioned before. When we have the Trez man here sitting across from me, it's a lot. It's a lot more uh, of a of a steady diet of what's wrong, what's right with the Yankees, what to do, whatever else. But I'll tell you what. You know, here they sit, twenty nine and twenty. You have uh, Aaron Judge was hurt 
he looks like the monster that he was last year. You know, he's carrying the team a little bit. Just like the Mets, the pitching's been a little spotty. Uh, they are, they're the, the kind of team that I think when it's all said and done, they're five and a half out, but, you know, the Rays are coming back to earth here a little bit, and the Orioles, um, going, uh, two and a half out, but I, I think the Yankees are coming along. So we are lucky to have a caller on the line. Ed is with us tonight to talk a little New York sports. Ed, welcome aboard, and what would you like to talk about? Coach, thanks for taking my call. Great show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> well, Gotta listen, get that in there. I, I appreciate that. I think I think uh, first-time caller for sure, but not. I think you and I have spoken one or two times in the past. Well, so. One or two times before, yeah. but great show tonight. Uh, Thank thanks you. for Kathy coming on, and I uh, loved your interview with Dr. Turner there. So I had a question for you. Just give me a two minutes. I know you've covered a lot of the other playoffs, but two minutes on our Islanders. What did they do okay. wrong? What can they do better? I just uh, was very disappointed going into the playoffs with high hopes and seeing the Panthers in Carolina now duking it out is making me a little unsettled. Yeah, that that's a million-dollar question, and, and that's a great one. What I think, rather than maybe what went wrong or what they could have done, I'm very surprised right now. We're, we're two and a half, almost three weeks since the season ended. GM Lou Lamarillo has not re-signed. They haven't made any kind of statement on, on the coaching staff. So they're very much in flux at the moment. So I don't know, is, is Lou going to come back? I mean, I hope they bring him back. His success has been, you know, nothing, nothing short of spectacular. I didn't like the move of getting rid of Barry Trotz, but who knows what that's all about. But I think with the Islanders, you know what it always comes down to, Ed? They, we haven't had a sniper. We haven't had a guy who's just a goal scorer in, in, in so long. And we got kind of hit by the, by the injury bug a little bit, you know, you and I are the same age, and we 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 went through the glory years where we had the Mike Bossies and the Brian Trotches and all that. So I think, you know, there's a there's something where if we could just find someone who can put the puck in the net on a consistent basis, and I think there's some cap room that's going to open up and and whatever else. But if we don't if we don't get these people in line here on the administrative end, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit too late. But um, yeah, they, they they frustrated a little bit, huh? With with their inability to score goals, I would assume. Yeah, those those, those uh, you know players at at the end there, Horvat and uh, Engvall, I think just it just didn't materialize the way I think we had hoped. And don't know if there's other moves that you would make, or I know well, the sniper is definitely a position. But I'm yeah. not sure who's out there that we could get. Well, you know what? I think in hockey too, it's it's very it's very underrated. With you can bring guys in, but. Each team has their own system, and and I think Horvat's going to be, you know, he he'll be just fine. But it takes time for that for that to gel, and you have one injury, whatever. It it's not like a like a baseball where you can plug a guy into third base and he's going to hit and everything else. You know, hockey's hockey. You have to be patient with that. So while there were great deals at the deadline, I think hockey's about two things. Number one, the system that you play and get in place, and and when you get to the playoffs, the hot goalie can carry you at any time. So while it's it was a disappointing year, um, the fact that they made the playoffs, we're you know we're somewhat uh, you know competitive throughout. I think is important, but you know, for for us, looking forward to to kind of try to keep our our chin up and say, hey, next year is going to be a big one. Let's get let's get Lamarillo signed, or at least get the front office in line so that everyone's on the same page. And I I, I think I think once that happens, you'll see some good stuff. And you know, the draft is coming up. Uh, it's normally you know late June. Hockey players. Minus the first three, four picks takes a long time to get there too. So that doesn't get you all that excited if your team's good. Um, but but I think we're we're heading in the right direction, and um, we got to get you down to, to uh, 
to the arena to see a game, but just make sure you do one thing when you come down. Don't bring cash. Bring bring your credit bring your credit card because that that place will 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 milk you dry. But it, it's a it's a fantastic place to see a game. Yeah, welcome to Modern Sports, Coach. You done a great <laughs> show carrying it by uh, your own shoulders tonight. I uh, really appreciate you taking my call, Ed. Thanks so much, and, and uh, let's go Mets and and Islanders. We'll 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 hold the torch for them in the next couple of months and and get back to that as well. Sounds good. Talk right. soon. Thank you. Thanks for calling. So. My man Ed calling in from Connecticut, giving it a little bit. He's a lifelong Med fan. He he makes me look like uh, like a Johnny Come Lately when it comes to that. But I was happy that he brought up the Islanders because um, it has. We we haven't really done a real true, you know, post mortem on them. We'll probably get our man John Santa Maria on Johnny Sticks in the next couple of weeks to to kind of go through. But before before that happens, and I, I'm sure he would admit it as well. Let's get the front office in in check and and kind of go from there. Um, got a couple of minutes left if you want to call in. Open phone lines, 516-623-1240. Uh, you know, just getting back quickly to the Yankees, folks, uh, I, I was saying about how it, it's amazing, New York fans, how we, we, we want to pull the, the ripcord quickly or whatever else. You know, uh, talking to other friends of mine who are Yankee fans or just sports fans, they're like, what's wrong with the Yankees or whatever else? And I just, you know, you pull it up. And here they are. They're twenty nine and twenty. I mean, they're not they're they're not leading the pack, but the Rays have have certainly you know come back to earth here a little bit. Yankees are, are playing good ball. They're hitting five and a half out. They'll be there at the end. The, the AL East is too good of a you know the, the last place team right now is the the Blue Jays at twenty five and twenty two. I mean, come on now. They, could you, could you imagine that if you're looking if you go to the AL Central? Last place team in the Royals, 14 and 34. So while the Yankees certainly haven't hit their stride, uh, if they can get Carlos Rondon back in and, and get that going, they'll be just fine. Met fans, keep the faith, uh, but just keep the oxygen around and, and something because, boy, they are the cardiac kids. So as we wrap up here tonight, I want to send a, a special thank you out again to Dr. Daniel Turner for joining us um, and just doing a great job and, and for, for being a help to me on a daily basis. Chris Caputo, as always, brought his knowledge. Uh, Ed, for calling in. Um, you know, great times here, folks. The world is a tough place. Uh, we're lucky enough to be sports fans here in, in the New York metropolitan area where we have so many teams. Keep that smile going. No matter what your team's doing, be enthusiastic. Get out to the ballparks if you can. But more than anything else, just keep the faith. Once again, Mike Wadone here signing off on 1240 WGBB. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.